it was like the right side of my head was empty because I had all those traumas buried in there and and concrete walls and furniture against the door and, you know, all kinds of things holding them back. And it was empty in there. And I would just burst into joy. And it's like I have room that I can just go in there and dance, you know. And it's so good. And I can use it now whenever, you know, whenever I'm getting too caught up in the day-to-day kinds of stuff. I think about that and I can dance, you know, it, it, it's incredible. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with author of the book, Unfreezing Trauma, my private journal of EMDR recovery, Mary Held. In her mid-30s, Mary started experiencing seizures in her arm. This would be the first of many debilitating symptoms Mary would face over the coming years. After multiple doctors and incorrect diagnoses, Mary learned of EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment, and decided to pursue it. After 16 EMDR sessions, Mary found herself free of the symptoms she had been dealing with for years and a sense of mental freedom. Mary has since dedicated herself to spreading the word about EMDR therapy and hopes it can save somebody else just like it did for her. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Mary J. Held, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, Mary, really excited to have you on. Um, I was, I was, look, you know, reaching out, trying to find some, some guests in, um, I think it was on Facebook and, and in a, a group there and, and came across yourself um, and, and you yourself suffered from what was for a long time in a kind of an unknown condition and then ultimately found a therapy that helped it. And, and now you've kind of made it your mission to make other people aware that this treatment's available and, and just kind of your own story. And I just absolutely love that. Um, so I want to kind of just start with what were you experiencing initially that was that was misdiagnosed? Like what was going on that you that couldn't be solved? Well, one day I'm just, you know, teaching as usual. And all of a sudden I started feeling real shaky. And then my mm. arm kind of jumped up into the air. My right arm jumped up and started just flying about. Wow. And... And I went, you know, I had somebody take me to the doctor because it didn't stop. And he said, he heard my story. I had just gotten back from three years teaching overseas and was new to the area. And he said, oh, you're suffering from stress. Mm. So I went through, I did yoga, I lost weight, I did walking. Um, Eventually, I stopped teaching and took this bookkeeping job that was just very low-key and it started getting worse. It would involve both arms. It finally went to my legs. Before I was finished, it was doing my shoulders and my head. So I would just flail about. And he said he still thought it was stress. I mean, he sent me through all these tests and he still thought it was stress. And he said, I think you'd be better off living near your family. So I said, okay, I'll move back to Southern Ohio. I was in Arizona. Wow. So I moved back to Southern Ohio, 
And I was unemployed and didn't have insurance at that point. So I went to the free clinic, which takes a long time to get into. Mm -hmm. I finally got in there. She saw what was happening to me. And she immediately sent me down to the neurologist. Well, I got to the neurologist and they looked at me and they said, you have epilepsy. And they started me on all of these drugs. And I kept doing all these drugs and all these drugs. And it wasn't stopping it. I was just sleeping a lot more. Mm. But I was still having all these seizures. So finally, I'm in the middle of an EEG. They've got me all hooked up. They're watching all the brain activity. I have a seizure while they're doing that. And I don't have what they expect to see when you have epilepsy. So, he said, pretty much, the neurologist said, this is some kind of um, conversion disorder, some kind of thing that the psychologist can deal with, or the psychiatrist can deal with, and he sent me to the psychiatrist. Well, again, it's community mental health. They tend to deal most of the time with people who are, you know, going to kill themselves or whatever. They're not real broad and and so I went to the psychiatrist and he gave me like these 10 minute med checks every once in a while and he kept me on the same meds Mm. well I was getting to the point where I really didn't like these meds yeah so I started taking myself off of them Mm. and it was hard because the the drug that they give it's not it's real hard on, on your body, you know. I got real nauseous and, and real, you know, it just, just made me sick to go up or down on it. So I'm going down on it. I go in. They take a blood test. And they say, you don't have enough of this drug in your system. That's what's going on. We want, we want to up the drug. And I'm saying, well, you know, I'm kind of tired of doing nothing but seizing and sleeping. And he said... Either you decide you're going to take this drug or we're going to have to hospitalize you and make sure you take this drug. (laughs) So I said, whoa, okay, we've upped the ante here. I had some friends who had been, you know, put in the hospital against their will. And a psychiatrist Uh. can't do that. So I played it very cool. At that point... I had a new new insurance kick in. I was now on Medicaid. Mm. And I had a different choice of psychiatrists. So for the one psychiatrist, I just kept calling and missing appointments. You know, because they expect you to. It doesn't raise any red flags. I just started missing appointments there and went to this other guy. <laughs> and said, we talked. I didn't tell him anything about getting away from him because they won't talk bad about each other sure i just said i'm on this medication i want to try to get off he said well we can do that i said okay i'll i'll get my record sent for my other psychiatrist and that's the first time that he knew that i was leaving him was when he got the paperwork saying that i was moving to somebody else so i i felt pretty safe with that yeah so this guy we went down on the medication And he said, let's figure out, let's see if we can figure out when you have a seizure and when you don't. So we started tracking it. We tracked 
you know, when I ate, what kind of stressors there were on me, um, how much had I slept, um, what else was I doing, just looked at everything, and we came up with this idea that if I was very well rested, had eaten well, had done all this stuff, had been calm for like a day, I could go the next day and probably be able to do something. I said, oh, can I work? He said, no. Let's start start first with something that you really like to do. So I said, okay, I'll join a choir. So I went and joined a choir, mm. and I managed to get to every one of the rehearsals and to the performance without a seizure. Wow. Whoa, and that was just incredible. That felt so freeing. I thought, well, maybe I can start a little work. And... I looked in the paper, and here's a, a preschool that's looking for a person who can work with music in the kids. Mm. They were looking for somebody for three hours a day on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I said, this is perfect. This is just perfect. I can try and do this. Yeah. And I still let them know, you know, don't let the teacher run away when they bring their class in, because I may have... A seizure and they may need to take over it didn't happen mm-hmm. and i just played with the kids and we sang and we did little you know ring around the rosy songs and farmer in the dell songs and we did you know the the things you do with the ribbons <laughs> and we did all this stuff and we had yeah. a good time and and i thought well this is a good place well the people who were in charge of it quit. They were all going to go someplace else. I see. I was in 12-step programs because I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for a long, long time. And my, my program sponsor quit. The place where I was going to meetings, instead of having closed meetings, closed 12-step meetings, decided they were going to have open 12-step meetings. All the time, and I didn't like that. Uh, and there's all these things I don't like about it. And my son, who was going to school and took the bus, they closed the bus system down. I said, it must be time to leave this town. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so and so we started checking out Lansing, which is where I had gone to college and stayed for a long time. I went mm. to Michigan State, and I was living there when I moved overseas. And I was working there. And so I'm just looking around to see what kind of program they have for him. And I get this thing that they're hiring people for my old position. Mm. So I call him up and I say, what do you think? And they said, you're willing to come back. You're here. You're back in the States. Come, come. (laughs) So I went there and we started trying to do 12 hours a week. And that didn't work very well, so we went to nine hours a week. Mm. And I had it set up that if I had a seizure, I would just go and tell this one person who would then put in a sub, and I would go off. And during the 12, when I was working the 12 hours, we needed to do that several times. When Mm. I went back to nine hours, there wasn't so much to do. So Mm. I'm feeling pretty good. I've got nine hours a week I get to work. I've got, you know, three or four um, 12 step meetings I go to and 
Every once in a while, if I'm feeling good, I can go to the grocery store. So I'm thinking, man, this is a heck of a life. And I'm all happy and excited about it, you know? <laughs> um, and that goes on for like, went on for a couple of years. And then my son tried to kill himself. He didn't wow. succeed. He was okay. But in dealing with it, I got way off balance and I started losing the nine hours. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to go back to what it was. And so I'm really upset and worried about it. And I run into this guy. I'm sitting in a meeting. I go into a seizure. He puts his hand on me, and it calms it down. And after the meeting, he says, there's this thing called EMDR that I think would help you. Mm. And I'm ready to be helped. Right? <laughs> I'm yeah, ready. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. I think anyone would be. This is remarkable. Anyway, go on, please. So, <laughs> so I go around trying to find somebody who will do EMDR with me, and it's really hard. But I finally find mm -hmm. somebody, and we started to do this EMDR. Well, I would read about it, and and it seemed like a miracle to me. What I had heard, what I had read about was just this real quick little story. Um a guy was a train engineer. He's running the train. Somebody committed suicide by jumping in front of his train. Okay. And he killed him. And every time he got back into the train, all he could do was feel the sight, the smell, everything having to do with that incident. And he had to stop working. And he went to EMDR and... After the EMDR, he could work again. Mm. I thought, this is a good deal mm -hmm. that, that there's incidents that could be over. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know if it had anything to do with the seizures, but I knew that there were some things in my life that whenever I thought about, I got pretty crazy. Okay. And that sometimes in situations, I would feel, I would feel really afraid and stuff. And, and so I said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Now, EMDR stands, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Mm. What the basis of it is, is that you stimulate first one side of the brain, then the other side of the brain. Mm -hmm. And you do this back and forth motion. Just with your eyes, I can follow. My, what I did was I followed my therapist's fingers back and forth. Mm. Sometimes they'll do a tapping on a, a leg for little kids. Um, they'll do it with a light bar. They do it with various things. But it's mm. that back and forth as you're talking your way through a trauma, a traumatic event. Mm. Now, lots of people have traumatic things that happen to them. But most people process them, and they become something that happened in the past. It wasn't a good thing, but it happened in the past. It's over. It doesn't affect today. Well, when you have PTSD, it's not over. And every time you think about it, it feels like the present. It feels like it's now, and it feels like it could happen anytime again. Some of, one of the 9-11 guys I read about was having trouble. It was like every time he walked down the street, he was expecting buildings to fall. 
Mm. You just expect the trauma to happen at any point. It doesn't matter that you know intellectually this probably isn't going to happen. Right. You feel that it's going to. Yeah. And so it really affects you. Mm. And then there's this back and forth, looking at it, thinking about it, talking your way through it, and all of a sudden you feel totally different about it. Mm. All of a sudden... Let me let me walk you through through one of the ones I did. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. I had gotten beaten up by this guy, and I thought he was going to kill me, and he drugged me upstairs, and was going to put me in this this steaming hot bath, and he said I was going to die, and I believed him, and he turned away for a hot second, and I took off. And I ran across the street, and I burst into these people's house, and I grabbed onto the, their stairwell. And I said, help me, he's trying to kill me. And so wow. I'm going crazy. He comes in. He says, she's on a bad trip. She did some bad acid. Oh, my I'm God. I'm going to take her away. Oh, my God. And the woman reaches over. And starts to peel my fingers off. And that's where I got stuck. <sighs> it turns out what happened was, I then screamed at her. I said, I said, you don't have to keep me here. Just call my friend. She'll come and get me. And I gave her the phone number. And my friend came right away and took me out of there. But I had, I had been stuck in that position. Every time I thought it through... It ended with her peeling my fingers back. And what I got from that incident was that the whole world is out to get me. That it's this global kind of thing. That anytime, anywhere it can happen, and there is no help for me. And that's what I believed. And after we did this, my sessions took about two hours. After we did this, while we were doing it, I started noticing other things. Like, in my mind, when he had knocked me on the ground and was kicking me, the only thing I could see were his shoes. But when we went back through it, I could see the couch. I could see a sculpture that we had. Uh. I could think about other things. And, and it kind of put it in more of a perspective. And then when I got to the point where my fingers were there and they were taken off, I could see her kids were there. And they're in there like footed pajamas and everybody's getting ready for bed. And here I am screaming and hollering and holding on. No wonder she thought I was crazy. Yeah. And, but she, but she had enough compassion. Right. That she called my friend. Right. And so my friend came. Wow. Going into it, I totally believed that I had somehow drawn it to me. It was my fault mm. and, that, and that the whole world was out to get me. And by the time I had finished the EMDR, I thought, boy, he was a pretty bad guy. Right. And I could just kind of feel things rearranging in my head. And wow. it's like, well, that happened like at that point. It had been like 28 years ago. Yeah. 
and it's a that was happened a long time ago. Right. It hasn't happened since. It right. probably isn't. I'm, right. you know, I didn't draw him to me. I don't have to worry that he's going to get me every time I step outside. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, man, I, um, I, I just have to say your, your resilience, uh, and not just from the most, the, the last story that you told about the, the, the horrible man, but just your resilience throughout this entire story is just remarkable. And I don't say that to flatter you and I don't, but just, I, it's just amazing. <laughs> um, how, how strong you actually are. Um, I have so many questions, but so I'm going to go to the, um, I'll start with one, I guess here that's, that's more close to the end of the story you're just telling. So, you know, you, you explain kind of talking through this, this example of this traumatic event, um, in conjunction with, um, with, with the EMDR, had you talked about that event with a therapist previously and, and not had any result? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. There was no result. I mean, they would say, oh, it's done. He didn't do it. I'd say, yeah, I know that. But, you know, I don't feel that. Right. This thing isn't over for me. Right. It's not over. Right. You know? I mean, Man, and after just... a while, you just kind of hide that you didn't get any relief when you talk about incidents. Because, right. because they so obviously thought you should get some. Right. I mean, there are some people that that go through a therapy that has you go through an event and go through it and go through it and go through it and go through it, go through it. I guess it do you want to kill yourself, but you know, <laughs> I don't see how that one works at all. But, but you know, some people, it makes them, they become used to it. They get used to how they feel and, and somehow it enables them to go on. But, right. but this one works quick. It's just it's it's remarkable the power of of uh, I, I want to say the mind, but also just the power of belief. I mean, regardless of what you know, and I'm using air quotes that only you and I can see, but <laughs> like whatever objective reality is, right? Like, there's still a part of it that it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter. I mean, it does. I don't mean that there is no no, no nothing that's real or something, but. Uh-huh. But how you perceive it and how you understand what's going on in some cases matters at least as much as objective reality and in some cases Mm -hmm. is more powerful than objective reality. Yeah. I mean, they talk about the negative voices in your head and the negative beliefs that you have. And these things are really powerful. talked about your son a, a bit so i'm curious whenever the 
you know, you, you described at the very beginning that you're teaching and all of a sudden one of your arms starts kind of moving. Were, was your was your son young at that point still? Like kind of where, what stage of life were you at when that, when that happened the first time, the seizure? He was 14. I was wow. probably, I was like 35, 40. So just the easy time when they're a teenager. Just <laughs> <laughs> perfect timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, and then, and I've talked to other people, you know, I talked to a, a fellow um, just a week or two ago that had, has had multiple sclerosis for, for 30 plus years. And, you know, obviously very different condition, but similar to your story in that he, they just, they couldn't diagnose it for so long. Mm-hmm. How, how, and, and I feel like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is a great question or not, but I'm just, how did you, how did you talk yourself into continuing to seek answers when you're going and, and talking to a therapist and it's not working or when you go and they say, oh, we think it's epilepsy and, and that doesn't, doesn't actually provide a result. Like what kinds of conversations did, did you have with yourself to keep going? Cause I think a lot of people would, I mean, I'll, I'll even, I won't even generalize for me when I hear your story, I'm like would I have given up sooner than that? <laughs> because your resilience is <laughs> remarkable. What's your option? I think I'll die. That, yeah. that you know, right. and, and leave this kid here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic mm. means that I was well versed in the whole idea of one day at a time, okay. one minute at a time, you mm. hang on, you look for positive things. You know, and so I would look for, okay, this diagnosis doesn't work. Maybe another one is going to. And it gets harder the more you go through it. Mm. I, the, the, when I did the EMDR, it took me a couple months between the time he told me about it. And I read about it and I thought about it. And it's like, am, am I willing to go through this again? And yeah. and. and it's either you're going to have a life or you're not going to have a life. Right. And, and you go for a life. I mean, people, we have a desire to live. Yeah. And our body has a desire to be healthy. And our mind has a desire to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we found as we went through it, there were a number of traumas and then there was childhood kinds of things. Mm. And as we went through, there would be, little things that seemed to have nothing to do with anything that would kind of pop up mm. and they would pop up and they would be clues to what was coming on down the road. Oh. Um, it would be my mind kind of circling around and getting closer to what the biggest trauma was. Mm. And, and it's your mind wanting to heal. Yeah. We have within us, it's like a tree knows that it's supposed to grow up straight and tall and go to the sun. Mm. We have the same kind of thing in us, mm. but we need to release it. We need to be at that point. I mean, one thing that I've heard people talk about is the gift of desperation. Yeah. And you get to the point where it's either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Yeah. What am I going to do? Right. And I came down on I'm going to live. Yeah. And we just kind of drag my little body along. We're going to try this some more, you know, but that's well, what the thing is. Well, it's a, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable story. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just humbled to, to have you on sharing it. So I, I'm, um, 
so you go through the EMDR, and I. <laughs> this is kind of a weird thing to say, maybe, but I feel like we need to get with whoever names things and come up with a different name for it because <laughs> EMDR doesn't roll off the tongue easily. And to be perfectly candid, before I had actually done any research and read about your story and read about what it was, when I just saw the act the acronym, honestly, the very first thing that I guessed EM stood for was electromagnetic, right? Like. I just assumed it was okay. some machine or there, and it's not right. Like it's no. not, it's not something that's scary or obscure or any of that. Right. It's, it's none of that. So again, I don't know who we talked to, but we need to get with someone <laughs> to me, you know, call it puppy or something and let's really sell this thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so yeah. So, so walk us through then. So you start, you, you start going through this therapy, you're working through these traumatic events and then, how long are you in the therapy doing this EMDR before you really feel like you're on a new footing? You know, I mean, I think everything was aligned for me to do well. It took four months, 16 sessions, and then we were done. Wow. And it was like, it was like the right side of my head was empty because I had all those traumas buried in there and, and concrete walls and furniture against the door and, you know, all <laughs> right. kinds of things holding them back. Right. And it was empty in there. And I would just burst into joy. Oh. And it's like I have room that I can just go in there and dance, you know? Oh, and that's so good. It's so good. And I can use it now whenever, you know, whenever I'm getting too caught up in the day-to-day -day kinds of stuff, I think about that and I can dance. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. It, it it's incredible huh i mean f four months is certainly a long time but for how long you'd been dealing with it that's a, i mean that almost feels instant i bet oh yeah 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 with with each individual trauma it is almost instant yeah and so the time took and going through the traumas and then there was a time when we were looking for this last trauma because mm. it was not right up there saying I'm it, you know, it was hiding in the shadows. Right. And so we, we had to circle around it and talked about all kinds of stuff. Now, one of the things that she said, my therapist said, was I want you to write. Write about every session and write during the week what you think about and what you do and how this is progressing during the week. And we would start every session by reading that. Now, I think that would help any kind of therapy. Because you always walk in, they say, how are you? You say, I'm fine. I had a good week. You know. But instead, you know, right. I'm starting out with, you know, the, the first day I'm like, is this true? Is it gone? I'm feeling in my head around for it. Is that what happened? And then, and then all of a sudden I'm, talking about when I was a child and, and things that happened when I was a child and what a strong girl I was and and just all kinds of things come. Hmm. And and so I wrote about it all. And, and so instead of saying I'm fine, she gets a real feel for what's going on, what's going up and down, and what's at the forefront of my mind. So our second session, we focused on a childhood thing because that's where my mind was. And so you just kind of build on each other. It's like 
I was real honest in my writing. And sometimes I like didn't even want to do it. And it's like I couldn't take my hands away from the keys. It's just coming out so fast. All this stuff is just coming out. The writing helped. Yeah. And what I did at the end of that, what I had was this like textbook on how EMDR works. Mm. It wasn't, you know, I did it and it was a miracle. And then I did it this and it was, it was like I did it and then this happened. Right. And then this happened the next day. And then this happened the next day. And every day that went, and then I went in for another session. And it just goes through all of those sessions and all of the weeks in between the session. Hmm. And afterwards, you know, my therapist was all in, you need to make a book out of this. And she said, what I'll do is I'll put in some comments after each session. So she put in comments after each session in the book. Oh. Now. And that is what became Unfreezing Trauma, the book that you That is what became Unfreezing Trauma. Wow. It's just going through what happens. Wow. So, So people who are thinking about doing EMDR and don't know about it can read it and get an idea of what it's going to be like. And people whose loved ones are going through EMDR can read it and get an idea that, you know, there's nothing personal happening. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm just going to be, and this is not a, a, like meant to be a plug or something, but, and I'm not going to say who it is because, you know, it's personal for them, but I'm, I'm buying this book as soon as we're done talking because (laughs) there's someone in my life that I think could maybe really, really benefit from this. Um, yeah. So I think that's amazing that you have that, um, that your own journey through it and how, and like you said, it's not just like, well, here's what we did and then it was fixed and and none of the in between, right? It's really walking a person mm-hmm. through what a lived experience of that is like. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's something that, um, that I wasn't familiar with until I had gotten an email from you and kind of looked, looked a little bit. And, and even then, still didn't understand fully, you know, until talking to you this evening, um, exactly what was going on. That's, that's remarkable. So, so had you, had you, did you, had you practiced journaling like that before this treatment at all? Was that something you'd ever really done? No, no, I'd never really done it. It just, okay, this amazing thing is happening. I better write all about it. And it feels like, like, like the world changes a little bit all the time yeah. because this stuff has been part of you. For me, it had been part of me for a long time. And right. so it, as it got into place in, in my, the history of my life and, and that kind of thing, I just felt strange. Mm. You just get, you feel strange sometimes. Yeah. And then you think, does anybody else feel like this? And when I was doing it, there wasn't any other books out there. You right. know, because all there are is, is the therapist telling it and they tell it we did this and then that was it. They were, <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, because they don't know what happens. Right. If they haven't, don't have them write it and then read it. Right. They get that. Oh, I had a good week, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really, it's, you know, I, so I've advocated for journaling a lot on this show and, and have actually had different people that even run, businesses that are journal, you know, uh, guided journals and that kind of thing. Um, because it's like, for me, the thing that journaling does and really writing, I guess, but journaling being my own thoughts, 
is that like, if I just think about something, I can get stuck in a loop, right? Where I'm just thinking the same thing. Maybe it's different words, but it's the same idea over and over. Uh-huh. But I find that when I write, it's very unlikely that I'm going to write the same thing over and over and over. And I don't know what the difference is, but it's almost like by writing, it causes my mind to like try and move forward to like, what would the next sentence be after that? Not the same sentence over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, so I, I've personally worked with psychologists, um, you know, been a patient and then also work with a life coach now for quite a while. And the life coach session starts exactly the same. Like, so how's it been going? What's on the top of your mind? And it's not even like I'm there to deal with like a, a, a particular problem, if you will. But I run into the same thing where I'm like, I don't know. It's all fine. Because what do you say? You know, <laughs> it feels like you're on the spot. Yep. And yet the journal is a tool for, for getting past that and really being able to just dive into it. Uh-huh. That's, that's really, yeah, that's, that's really great. I don't know. I don't know that I've heard it specifically in that use before, but that makes a ton of sense. So do you still journal past that or, or was that really just exclusive to that therapy experience? That was exclusive to that therapy experience. Okay. I'm thinking now about starting to write some more and do some more journaling, but, yeah. but I haven't for a while. Yeah. Well, and you know, you talked about from the, um, from the, the alcoholic uh, recovery stuff that you had done, the work that you'd done in that, that you were aware of trying to live one day at a time, keeping things small. And to some extent, another word for all that is mindfulness, right? So I'm curious, do you, do you practice, like, do you have any daily routines that you engage in? Like, do you meditate? Do you, I, do you go on walks? Like, anything? I have a um, series of meditation stuff that I do in the morning. Awesome. I have a meditation group that I meet with twice a week and yeah. we do some group meditation. Mm. So, awesome. yeah, I do that kind of thing because you, you, the main things that compelled me to do the kind of thinking that I did yeah. are gone. But some of the hangovers, some of the old ruts in my head are still there and I need to be careful and need to be aware of them. Right. And like, oh, it, this is this me thinking it's the whole world against me again. This is wrong. Okay, let's <laughs> let's rethink what's going on here. Let's talk to somebody about this. Yeah, you know, I, I know that it, I know that it's not going to be true. Right. Yeah, and I, I also love that part of your story. And this is something I try and emphasize as often as I can when I talk to folks is is that I don't love to be clear. I don't love that you had the struggle in any way or, or that you couldn't find the first person, the first doctor you were with couldn't help. But I think it's important to also highlight that you, you tried multiple different doctors and multiple different treatment plans and none of them were working, but you kept searching and eventually you found the doctor and the treatment plan. And 16 weeks later, the world is literally different. Yes. And I say that just because I know, so I've, you know, I've known people in the past that maybe have worked with a therapist or, or worked in a treatment plan. Like you said, like you talked about some of these traumatic events before, but it didn't change how you felt about it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then people will just say that doesn't work. Like there is no help for me from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. There is no help for me. And and that's just not true. Right. We just have right. to keep looking and we can find that, that help. Yeah, it is true. The thing that I discovered, I live in Lansing, Michigan. And so Detroit, of course, is the big city nearby. And I I 
went and got, you know, diagnosed. We have the seizures are PN, they're called PNES, mm. psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. And they are something that a lot of people, well, that a fair number of people have yeah. as a response to trauma. <laughs> and I had never heard of that. Right. You know, it right. never came up in, in all of my looking around until I ran into this specialist in Detroit. Yeah. And something I was reading said that maybe up to 10% of people who are diagnosed with epilepsy don't have epilepsy. Wow. They have PNES, hmm. non-epileptic seizures. They look like epilepsy. They have a lot of the same... Um, Symptoms as epilepsy, a lot of the same triggers as epilepsy does. And I'll go off with flashing lights and stuff like that. Um, but they're not epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, it's, it, that's the other, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, the connection between body and mind. And there's some really maybe obvious examples of that. But, but, but to know that, that, Reliving a trauma can can lead to a physical outcome that is as dramatic as a seizure. It's not like you you had a headache, right? It's not like you didn't feel as energetic as you normally did. Like that's a seizures is really significant, um, and yeah, to know that it could yeah. come from that is is remarkable. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of scary because it's just like, man, this stuff. Stuff can happen for anything, <laughs> but then on the other hand, it's also nice to know though that you, that there there was a solution, right? There was an answer, um, so you could could live a a, a better life, <laughs> a happier yeah. life. Yeah. Um, One of the like, things that, yeah, that has happened to most people who have that I've read about who have done done EMDR is that as soon as you're done, you want to go out. You want to beat the streets. You want to find everybody that ever had a trauma and is it's still affecting their life. And you want to tell them it can be over. Do yes. this. Try this. You know. Yes. Yes. And this is why I wrote the book and why I do podcasts is to try yes. to tell everybody. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be like that. Yes. No. I think that's so. It's so beautiful, and and that's why you know the moment that I saw. Um, you know, a comment from you or the email from you, however it was that we originally connected, I immediately wanted to have you on the show. Um, because I love that message. I love that, that, that mission of trying to, to show people it doesn't have to be this way. Um, because it's, I mean, I can't imagine the fear of just not knowing how to, where the end, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Like that's, that in of itself has to be paralyzing outside of the seizures and the, the other trauma that is causing those, just that fear of what's happening and how do I, how do I solve it? And, and not having an answer is got to be paralyzing. Answer. You know, the, the, when I say that I went out for nine hours of work and for some meetings yeah. and maybe to the grocery store, I mean exactly that the rest of the time I was locked in my house and, and I would have, it would be a hard event. I would have to get myself ready and all prepared for the outside world to take the garbage out. Right. You know, I yeah. it, it got to the point where it's just really, really hard to go out of the house. Right. Wow. Well, Mary, I um 
I am so glad uh, that you kept seeking and that you did all of the work that you've done and have have not only saved yourself, but are now you know on this mission to, to just show so many other people that there is a way. Um, again, your book is Unfreezing Trauma, a private journal of, of my EMDR recovery. Unfreezingtrauma.com is your website. Is there anywhere else, though, that people should look to either connect with you if someone wanted to reach out? Do you, are you on social media? Any, any platform like that you'd like to plug? Um, when they're on the website, mm-hmm. there's a thing that says contact me, mm-hmm. and it has an email address there where okay. they can get in touch with me. Okay, perfect. I would love to hear from anybody. Okay. You know, well, I've heard from one person who said, it works! I did it! Oh. I read the book and it works! <laughs> oh, like, how yes. awesome. Yes. Oh, that's got to be so good. That has to be such a yes. great feeling to see that. Oh. That's so awesome, Mary. Well, I um, I will ha- I will make sure in the show notes to have a link to your website, um, and, and as well as a link to where people can buy the book, um, which I'm sure they can do through the website. But if there's on Amazon or something, I'll, I'll put yeah, it there as Amazon. well. Um, Mary, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to come. Um, I'm truly humbled to have had the opportunity to speak with you and to to hear your story and share your story. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming by. Oh, thank you so much for letting me on. Steady and unwavering A pillar in a torrid sea You're a distant flash of heat lightning In a storm within my reach The high tide is coming in Breaking waves across the shore Dark thunder is billowing. Your love is the ocean's roar. Are you the ship that I need to cross the seven seas? Help me reach the angry swells. And now the rivers that you need, and the water that fills your well, and the hand you hold
that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Mary for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And of course, thank you for listening. I also invite you to check out my other show, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters. That show can be found on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up. (laughs) 